0: Thanks for pressing the button to listen to this episode of Civil Service. This episode takes a break from interviewing historical characters because I'm going to embark upon exploring etymology and origins of idioms such as beat around the bush, straight from the horse's mouth etc etc means and the rest in Latin by the way. So, I have two guests with me today, one of them is called Angus Howard, say hi Angus. Hello Angus. And one of them is called Louis Sibley, say hi Louis. Hi. So, uh, you won't know who these people are and you don't need to know, just enjoy.
1: Erotism between men certainly boosts the fighting spirit.
0: savage, sassy. than conquer or die with glory so we're starting from down under january 1788 into the massive vast desert land of australia and they come across some bouncing animals with pouches and they think Hallelujah, praise the Lord, this must be an animal that comes from the dark depths of heaven. But then they see some, they see some aboriginals and they say, look, who, what is that? What is that thing? And the aboriginals go, kangaroo. That's how they name the kangaroos. And guess what kangaroo means an aboriginal? I don't know. (laughs) 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 So that's fun, isn't it? The next one to be discussed is from, from Angus over here, go on Angus.
1: So a word whose etymology I'd like to discuss with listeners today is the inherently Scottish word kerfuffle. A typical dictionary definition would define it as indicating a disturbance or a fuss. The phoneme car has been used in Scottish English since the 15th century as a mode of expression. An example of the expression in a sentence would be Car blimey pal! Early records of the second half of the word fuffle date back to 13th century Scotland where a fuffle referred to a whiskey-inspired function often ending in butchery. An example of the word kerfuffle in a sentence would be you ma'am, it was the sheerest the day, for God help me, a gang of gates like the troubled spirit. I was still come whirling there at a post-chase, but monk barns in an unco-kerfuffle. Now it's no little thing that will make His Honour take a chest post or two his I hope that today you learn something new about the word kerfuffle.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Angus.
2: Uh, so my word for the day is uh, the origin of the word bungalow. So follow me down uh, memory lane as we take a little history trip here. Um, as we all know, the bungalow was uh, first inve- invented in uh, Soviet Russia in 1923, right after the revolution. This I didn't know that. No, did you not? I really, fact. I thought that was common knowledge. Well, of course, this was because the most important aspect of communism is the destructions of division in class. Mm. The old two, three, four-storied houses of the past—they they represented this anarchic upstairs-downstairs scenario, with the rich family upstairs and the help downstairs, or the bourgeoisie upstairs and the proletariat at the bottom. The idea was that this class system must be completely forgotten, and obviously the best way to do this is by making sure people forgot the existence of stairs. Other things they got rid of around this time was ladders, ropes hanging from trees, or other higher places, uh, exponential graphs, Uh, Jenga, the forward and (laughs) backward slash um, and stadium stands for people to sit in. Uh, Funnily enough, a little aside, the first ever mosh pits were actually at communist rallies because they couldn't sit anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the flat equal floor of the bungalow was the perfect representation of a communist country with no hierarchical structure. Lenin and Trotsky designed the bungalow, obviously, since they met whilst doing a BA in architecture. They later died, but the bungalow streak and communist identity was never lost. By the time the Second World War came around, Because of all the bungalows, Russia was pretty hard-pressed for space. They didn't really think that having that many people, you know, you have to spread out the bungalows everywhere. Um, So it came as a really welcome surprise uh, when they were offered East Germany after the war. They had plenty more space to build their bungalows. If you go to East Berlin nowadays, you'll still see thousands upon thousands of bungalows. In fact, and this is really not a very well-known fact at all, the Berlin Wall was in fact the first of four walls they were going to build around the city in the hope to make all of East East Berlin, one huge bungalow. Um, obviously, when the wall was knocked down at the end of the Cold War, uh, they shelved this idea. Uh, now, I've gone on a while about the history, so I bet you're wondering where the world itself came from. Well, it actually came from the final words that communists would utter in defiance before being hanged. They would much rather be been shot than be hung because the gallows were everything they resented as representations of the bourgeoisie. You have the rope, you have the steps, you have the ladder to get up there, uh, and it's on a raised platform. And so they would cry out whilst walking up, bun the gallows, bun the gallows! And so this got shortened down over time to bungalow, bungalow. Um, obviously they hadn't really coined a term for these uh, you know, single-floored houses yet, and so that, that stuck. Um, and so there you go, what seems like a funny looking house has a long and varied history behind it. I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, a couple of other ones which we could talk about another time is uh, why Hitler made sure that fascist, fascist Germany had no sheds and uh, why Chairman Mao hates the greenhouse.
0: <laughs> that was absolutely titillating.
1: Fascinating stuff, Louis, thanks.
0: And fact fueled. Mm. I mean, I'm going to bed with some new knowledge, don't know about you, Angus. Mm. Okay. So, gang, gang gang, man gang, girl gang, you think it comes from a street artist or a sort of media persona, don't you? Don't you? But actually, it originates from ganglia on octopus, octopi, I should say. So ganglia are ovoid structures containing cell bodies of neurons and cells supported by connective tissue ganglia function like relay stations one nerve enters another exists which slightly resembles a gang itself you know one new cool trendy person comes in all a mode and then they get kicked out because they're not good enough life story <laughs> no not really so that is effectively where the word gang comes from which you know I was shocked by myself as well as I can't believe
1: as, it to be honest Mm. Yeah,
0: but that's the beauty of etymology, isn't it? Over to you, Angus.
1: Thanks for that, Sophie. Um, another piece of etymology we will discuss uh, is the word coccyx. Uh, the coccyx can be defined as the small triangular bone at the base of the spinal column in humans and some apes formed of fused vestigial vertebrae, also sometimes known as the tailbone. The tailbone. The tailbone. The tailbone. Now, uh, funny story here. I was unfortunate enough to damage my coccyx recently during a confrontation involving a misplaced chair and a bad-mannered pillow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You went to hospital (laughs) last night.
1: Despite my increasing pain, I found an interest in the word's origin. The word stems from 3100 BC ancient Egypt, Caucasus, a now extinct vulture-like creature, so called by ancient Egyptian physician Jehoutjamehamehbeb, because of the bird's tendency to relentlessly peck at the tailbones of unsuspecting ancient Egyptians, it is thought that the curved nature of our tailbones mimic the beaks of the Caucasus' natural prey, the chestnut-bellied sand grouse. It is thought that the curved nature of our tailbones mimic the beaks of the Caucasus' natural prey, the chestnut-bellied sand grouse, and can thus explain the customary tailbone nips. An example of the word "caucasus" in a sentence would be, "Oh no, Watch out for that Caucasus," or." Check out that tailbone-nibbling Caucasus. During the Caucasus revolution of 3114 BC, led by the infamous pharaoh Tutankhamun, 90% of the population of Egyptian Carcassuses were wiped out, with the population thought to have become extinct by 2900 BC. Tutankhamun's tomb was found with Caucasus taxidermy surrounding his crypt, along with many other riches of ancient Egypt. The transition of Caucasus to the more contemporary coxes has probable connection to the ancient Egyptian word jumble of 2,500 BC, also known as cryptid hieroglyphic.
0: You know, because that's funny because I I knew that Howard Carter, when he found Tutankhamun's tomb, mm. discovered lots of animals, but I had no idea that it was Caucasus, and that was the definition of Caucasus. Well, yeah. Of, I hope you um, learned something
1: new today, Sophie.
0: Oh, please! I'm a I'm a I'm. Flooded with knowledge at this point. Yeah. The next one, Louis is going to give us another explanation, which I believe it delves in Greek mythology. Is that correct? All right then. Um,
2: for for my next word, I'm going to do the term uh, bees knees. Um, and for this, we're going to have to go back to uh, Greek mythology and go to the wedding of uh, Hera and Zeus. Um, so uh, at the wedding, everybody was supposed to bring a really nice uh, gift to uh, to Zeus and to his wife Hera, and um, this lady called Melissa. Well, all she had was uh, some some stuff that she'd made, some food, and so uh, she gave it to them. And they were like, "Okay, not the best gift, but they they gave it a go anyway." And uh, it was delicious. And uh, Zeus Zeus held it up above his head, and he said, um, I, "I bless this as ambrosia um, for the gods, uh, but for all us mortals down here, um, the food that we call we we call it honey." Um, and uh, so Melissa asked for. Uh, Melissa asked for a, for some kind of gift from Zeus to, to say thank you um, and uh, and she asked for, for some way to protect all her honey, for some way to protect her life against everybody who wanted to steal her honey um, and Zeus was kind of pissed off because he was like, oh man, this is my wedding and everything, it's supposed to be a nice day and now you want me to give you some kind of weapon and and I don't know, it doesn't seem too fair, but uh, anyway, he decided to give her the gift. but. Uh, Tri- Trixie, though, Zeus was, he decided to give her, you know, kind of like a faux gift, like a gift that's, like, good, but, like, not that good. Uh, you know, a kind of gift that, that, like, on the surface seems good, but really, it's really shit. Um, and so he gave her, like, a big stinger on her bum, um, and she was, like, dead pleased until she realized that every time she stings someone, it means she rips out all of her insides. Um, so, uh, so yeah, she was, she was really not pleased. And um, the bee's knees thing, well, that comes from because he also... He also took away her shin bone and her tibia and, uh, and and her knees. He took away her knees so that every time she exploded, when she used her stinger, like, you know, her, her legs just collapsed in on themselves. Um, and so bees knees for like ages was used just to mean like some kind of explosion. A bit of uh, etymology is really the bees knees.
0: Mm. Yes, because effectively the the knees are what controls the joints. So with with knees, it facilitated that also them to be able to control themselves, so they didn't get blown up. So to have the bee's knees, you're protected from that. Great one. So I am going to um, just go. I'm going to talk straight from the horse's mouth. And if you listen to this podcast, I hope you do, I use this expression a lot actually because I interview people to get their knowledge straight from the horse's mouth. And this is indeed because during Alexander the Great's numerous conquests, he named every single one of his provinces. That he co- So that's the whole of Asia, the whole of India, uh, all of Greece, Turkey, anywhere, you know, everywhere is called Alexandria. But he, one of the provinces he left out to, to be called Bucephalus, and that was one of his horses. This is one of the most famous horses in history, and it is described as being black with a large white on his forehead. And it's said, Alexander the Great says in a few of his memoirs, Plutarch records this, that every time he was on the cusp of, of conquering a certain province, for example, when he was about to conquer Egypt, he would question his horse he would sit with his horse and decide is this is this worth doing will i win this and straight from the horse's mouth the horse used to reply yes this will be the correct one this is why you get knowledge straight from the horse's mouth if you really want the truth because he did indeed not lose a single battle Mm. Mm. yeah yeah there you go there you have it Mm. so next we're gonna get another one from angus angus Speak up, love.
1: So the next idiom that I will be discussing is the idiom to get a taste of your own medicine. I'm sure we've all heard of that one before, right? Oh, yeah. So getting a taste of your own medicine, yeah, interesting one. Today, historians and laypeople alike often look upon medicine from the history with horror and derision. One seems to conjure up images of dirty rags used to clean wounds or ground up dung ingested to cure a headache. This is often not the case. Herb application to bruises, sores, or other wounds has positive effects, as well as stinging nettles and ginger, licorice, etc. Most of this is pagan and druid medicine. If flus and colds did not wear off, then most peasants, farmers, and even generals, military men, and leaders were encouraged to drink their own piss and poo. So they quite literally had a taste of their own medicine. going to have Louis talking about... I forgot what you're talking about. We're going to be talking about bougies. Oh, bougies, yeah.
2: So bougie... Um Obviously now it's got a slightly different meaning in English, but originally it's a French word, uh, which means candle. And the French word came about um, just before the French Revolution, when the bourgeoisie of France, uh, whenever they had their parties, would play the sadistic and classist game, where they would all stand in the circle and hold candles in their hand, light it, and then let the wick burn down until it burnt their fingers. And they think that they did this uh, probably to try and feel the pain of the lower classes. And whoever held it the least long was clearly weakest, And would have to sit on a chair whilst the rest of the party would dance around them singing, The Povo Can't Handle the Candle.
0: That's where it came from. from I've been singing that for a while now. I always sing that at birthday parties. Mm, mm,
1: mm.
2: Anyway,
0: is that it? (laughs) 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 Oh, right, well, so bougie means candle in French, and that's why you get it because of bourgeoisies used it. Mm -hmm. And now it's like bougie is like being all bourgeois. Ah, I, oh, see, it's, it's I see. Okay, I've got another pretty whack one myself. Okay, so in Greek mythology we have a god called Proteus, and this is a prophetic old man of the sea and a shepherd of the sea's flocks, i.e., seals, if you catch my driftwood. So he was also the main thing about him, what we get from Homeric hymns is that he was subject to the sea, the god Poseidon. He also had a dwelling place in the island of Tharos. Now, in 1838 the word protein was formed after Proteus by a Dutch chemist called Gerard Jonen Mulder. And why did he name it, I, I hear you ask? Because Proteus, like he was subject to Poseidon, proteins are also subject to anemo acids. And some scholars also have a feeling that it's because our navigation was so important at this point and because protein was so essential for humanity, they linked the two. So yeah, protein comes from the god Proteus. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get uh, quite a frisky one. This is, this is not appropriate for grannies and children, I repeat. This is not appropriate for grannies and children.
1: The origin of the idiom beating around the bush is associated with a woman's vagina. By 1964, 98% of American women were routinely shaving their legs. With the introduction of the bikini in 1946, the stage was set for women to start, to start trimming pubic hair as well. So all before these, men were encouraged not to beat around the pubic hair bush and go straight into the 18th century whores and harlots. Disgusting, right? I'm, I'm happy we don't live in these times anymore. It's,
0: it's, it's revolting. It's
1: terrible. <laughs> but history of etymology is etymology.
0: Can we topple down all the etymology statues, do you know what I mean? Not really, to be honest. Absolutely. So over to you now, Louis, for... Um a groove and groove one
2: yes absolutely i'm going to tell you the origin of the word groovy so it was originally coined during the uh, prohibition era in uh, the us between 1920 and 1933 basically because uh, if you were caught drinking alcohol you would incur a massive fine or perhaps worse and so thousands upon thousands of people took to parting it up in the woods in the groves Um, they'd be slightly out of town and with the protection of the trees they were far less likely to get caught and then in public the next day or the day before, they could uh, talk with friends and make plans for a groovy or a groovy night without fear of their plans falling on uh, unfriendly ears or the police or something like that. Uh, Now we typically think of groovy more as a sort of surfer, hippie kind of word. And that's because later in the 1960s when the youth was big into smoking weed, they, like their forefathers before them, would head into the woods or their local grove and subsequently use the same word in public so that uh, nobody would find them out. A groovy night was no longer one associated with drinking but represented a free, loving, psychedelic evening. Before anyone knew it, the term was being used as a general term for anything cool and a little bit edgy. There you go. Mm
0: -hmm. Grove is in the heart. (laughs) Oh yeah,
2: (laughs) sorry, grove is in the heart. (laughs) Uh,
0: Right, okay, so this is just a final one. But this is actually one of my favorite. Typhoon Nina, 1975, China. Hurricane Pauline, one of the deadliest in the Pacific. Some of the poorest areas in Mexico were hit in 1997. Hurricane Katrina, I think this all rings a bell actually. Estimated $108 billion damage in the US, 2005. Mm. Hurricane Rita, also 2005, Gulf of Mexico. Right. Common theme here? What's the conom- common denominator? All women's running? names. They are all women's, all women's names, names by the US Weather Bureau and World Meteorological Organization. Now, this has caused some outrage for gender equality activists, quite rightly gendering natural disasters has been challenged immensely. And it's actually took 25 years of protest to officially change the naming system to be altering between male and female lists today. So here you are wondering, well, why did it start as women anyway? Why was it only women? Meteorologists today defend it as saying its origin was because female names sound less menacing to the Mm. thousands dying. But The truth is a lot more complex. So we have this man called Luke Howard, quite a famous meteorologist. Only from online, I didn't know that. Um, in 1954, after s- Tropical Storm Alice, feel maybe get a second glance, but I gotta get used to not na- living next door to Alice. Alice.
1: Alice. So Alice.
0: this was a rare off-season tropical cyclone in Cuba, Florida, in 1953, and after much investigation we have actually realized that this was Alice named after Alice Baker, who broke Luke Howard's heart into a million pieces and left him for another woman. So he found Alice temperamental, hence like a storm. And that's why he named after as a typical vengeance move, which actually creates a long history of female only named hurricanes. There you have it. Mm,
2: And I've actually heard that before. And Mm. apparently there is a, there's a very strong correlation between number of divorces in the year. And number of storms in a year. Really? Yeah, some people believe they're intimately linked.
0: Well, that's not really... I mean, I guess like financial losses, Mm. job losses, Mm. losses. Losses. Just severe damaged property losses. hope you're enjoying the 1st of April. And uh, you guys can say goodbye as well.
1: Thank you very much for listening, dear listener. Uh, We hope you've found something
0: new about etymology. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Also, feel free to get in touch.
1: If you have any questions about any of the etymology we've introduced today, feel free to get in touch. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Happy
1: swearing. Eroticism between men certainly boosts the
0: fighting spirit. Savage, sassy. That we must either conquer or die with glory.